Folks, if you don't hear one other thing today, you've heard enough. <laughs> the Lord loves you this morning. What a blessing that truly is. In spite of my faults and failures, he loves me. In spite of my mess-ups and my mess, he loves me. In spite of who I am, he loves me. In spite of who you are, he loves you. In spite of my attitude and actions, he loves me. I am amazed at the love of God. I'm so thankful for it. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John chapter number 14 is what we're going to be looking at in just a moment. But I heard a story one time about an elderly gentleman who was outside in his workshop working. And in the process of doing his work, he cut his hand. And so he ran back into his house there. And when he walked up through the door, his wife saw that his hand was bleeding. And so she wanted to look at it. And she saw what was going on. She said, oh, honey, you need to go to the doctor. He said, no, I don't want to go to the doctor. It's, it's not that big a deal. I think I can just put a bandage on it and be fine. She said, no, no, you've got to go to the emergency room. Just go on down there. We don't want this to turn into anything more serious. and We want it to be fixed right. So you go down to the emergency room and see if they can't fix you up. So reluctantly, at the advice of his wife and the command of his wife, he goes on down to the, uh, to the emergency room. So he gets there to the main entrance of the emergency room door walks in and he sees this great big room and there was he was surprised because there was nobody there no receptionist no people no one waiting just a great big room with two doors and these two doors had a sign above each of them it said male and female and so he thought well uh, I guess that's for me so he goes through the male door and when he gets into the next room again there's just another big room nobody in there nobody to meet him just two doors at the back of the room, and it said at the back of the room, um, above the waist or below the waist. So he looks down at his hand. He says, well, that's above the waist. So he goes through the above the waist door. He gets right into the next room, and sure enough, nobody there, just a great big room with two doors in the back. And it said um, um, in, in the back there, if it was a minor injury or a major injury, and so he says, looks at his hand and says, well, I told my wife it was minor. It's not that big a deal. I guess I'll go through this door. So he goes through the minor door. And when he walks through that one, he walks right back out into the parking lot for where his car was parked, gets in his car and drives back home. So he gets back to his house and his wife's waiting on him at the door. She walks in. She said, or he walks in. She says, honey, did they get you fixed up? He said, well, not really, but they sure were organized. <laughs> Let me tell you what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid there are a lot of churches that's like that hospital. I'm afraid that in the modern church in which we are a part of today, we've become a lot like that hospital. People are hurting. Hearts are broken. People are wounded. People are dying. Do you realize this morning that I'm a dying man speaking to dying people? Do you realize the urgency we have to truly make a difference for the kingdom of God? Do you realize the importance of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize the importance of living out your faith in such a way that people want what you've got? Do you realize the importance of being Christ-like if you claim the name of Christ? We're in an urgent position. 
But what I fear is we become really organized. We, we can organize and we can get a good plan together and we can think, have great thought-out programs. And don't get me wrong, folks. I'm not against plans, programs, and organizing. I'm not against that. But that's not the end-all, be-all. That's not the main thing. That's not what we need above everything else. Let me tell you what is going to make us effective as the body of Christ. It's the person and work of God the Holy Spirit. That's what changes hearts. That's what changed my heart. That's what's still working on me. That's what's still changing me. The person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And what I fear we have done, we've learned how to do church or perform ministry without the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Hey, we can come and preach the sermon. We can come and pray the prayers. We can come and teach the class. We can come and sing the songs. But folks, if we are not operating out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, then we can never truly be effective. Then all we're doing is just going through the motions. All we do without Him is simply get by. I don't want to get by. That's not what I'm in this for. I want to get real. I want to truly make a difference and be what God has saved me to be. And if we're going to do that, we must understand the personhood and the work of God the Holy Spirit. Oh, we are in desperate need of Him. Do you realize that we need Jesus just as much today as the day He saved us? See, sometimes I think we get used to being born again and we remember what God did years ago. Well, what's God doing today? See, I still need him today. I still need him today to be the pastor he's called me to be, to be the husband he's called me to be, to be the father he's called me to be, to be the witness he's called me to be. I I still need him today working on me, working in me and working through me, filling me up and pouring me out in a lost and dying world. still need him today. We all do. So this morning I want to answer the question, who he is and what he does. John chapter number 14, Jesus makes a profound statement, a great promise, starting right there in the 15th verse. Let's begin there. John 14, verse number 15. Watch what the Bible tells us. Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So let's stop right there just a moment. Every time I read that, i got to stop and think about it. If you love me, keep my commandments. How do you know? We can all say we love Jesus. And we should. That's what this great time of worship was all about this morning, saying we love Jesus. I can't wait for tonight. We're having a raise the praise service, man. We're coming back tonight, and we're just going to praise Jesus for who he is and what we've done. And we're going to say it with our lips. We're going to sing it out because he's worthy of praise. If you believe it tonight, or this morning, say amen. Well, if you believe it this morning, come back tonight. That's what we're going to do. We're going to praise the Lord. Because he's worthy. I realize who he is and what he's done. And for that, I'm going to praise him. Amen. So we're going to do it with our lips. And that's a good thing. But Jesus said, the true test is not as much what you say with your lips, but what you do with your life. If you love me, then do what I tell you to do. Keep my commandments. That's powerful. Then he says, verse number 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not. Amen. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. Everybody say in you. Where's the Holy Spirit? 
in you. Jesus speaking to his disciples then prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, prior to him finishing his redemptive work upon this, upon this earth, he says, it, he shall be in you. Well, how many know we're living post that? We're living after that. We're, we are now the redeemed who've placed their faith in Jesus. And this promise has been made real to us that now God the Holy Spirit lives in you, in me, in us who trusted in Jesus as our personal Savior. And I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for your promise and being faithful to it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing your work. And I'm asking you this morning that you do it one more time. That Lord, you speak to me and speak through me. Lord, I can't do this. Help me, Lord, to give these people what we all stand in need of. Change hearts and change lives and start with mine, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who is the Holy Spirit? When I say the person of the Holy Spirit, what does that mean to you? Well, first of all, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is referred to as an it but he should be referred to as a he. <laughs> He's not an it. When I'm talking about an it, I'm talking about an inanimate object. I'm talking about an object that don't have life. When we're talking about God the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a person. Now, how do we know that God the Holy Spirit is a person? How do we know that he expresses emotion? Well, we know it according to the, the, the precious word of God. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 4? And uh, I think it's verse number 30. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us plainly that God the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Brothers, if you will, please put that up. Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Do you know it's possible for you and I to grieve the Holy Spirit? That word grieve actually means a deep Silent lament, amen? We know what it means to be sorrowful. We know what it means uh, to have our heart broken. And I think that's exactly what the Bible is telling us, that we should not grieve or break the heart of the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you how you do that. How do we grieve God the Holy Spirit? There's several different ways. This is really a different message for a different day, and I may preach this next Sunday, but I'm just telling you folks, there's a lot of ways we can do it. All right. First of all, we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we return to what we've been set free of. I'm telling you. You can grieve the Holy Spirit when you have unconfessed sin in your life. Now I know there's a lot of people who say, Brother, I'm a Christian. I don't have any problem with sin. I've met some perfect people and they'll bless your heart. I'm telling you. The only problem is None of us are perfect. Even as believers, we still struggle with this old fleshly nature that we're trying to die to daily. Amen. So when you have unconfessed sin in your life, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When you harbor unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else, it grieves the Holy Spirit. But the point is, the Holy Spirit can be grieved he can have his heart broken because he is a person. He has a personality. Not only can he be grieved, but he also expresses joy. Brothers, if you will, please put for me on the screen Ephesians 5, starting in verse number 18. Watch this. Ephesians 5, 18, the apostle Paul makes it very clear 
how the Holy Spirit expresses joy. He says, and be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, something takes place. And he tells us what that is in verse 19, watch. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. Listen, when God the Holy Spirit feels, when you are full of Him, when He fills you up, let me tell you what happens. It produces joy deep down in your soul. It's amazing. How many of you have ever woke up in the morning with a song on your heart? God just blessing your soul. I told you last Sunday morning, man, I... Uh, last Thursday, God did a work at 5 o'clock in the morning. I woke up with a message on my mind. I couldn't go back to sleep. And I laid there for probably an hour preaching that message to myself. I'm telling you, God, the Holy Spirit was working in my heart. There is nothing like the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit. It produces joy within you. That joy is expressed through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, watch this. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does it produce a joyful heart, it produces a thankful heart when you're full of the Spirit. Amen. It's awesome. So if he can be grieved and he expresses joy then it must mean he's a person. He's not an it, but a he that you can and should know. And if you don't know him, you're missing out. You're missing out. Now, not only is he an e, a he, not an it, but listen, he's also God. He is God, just as much God as God the Father, and just as much God as God the Son. Now, I'm about to delve into some deep water right here, and it's really too deep for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. Dr. Charles Spurgeon says, to try and explain the, the Holy Trinity, you'd lose your mind. See, we've got some finite minds that can only go so far trying to explain the infinite. And, and that's never going to be able to, 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 to happen fully. I'm, you're never going to logically reason out how, the, how the God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son are all one that displays themselves or, or, or listen, um, offers themselves to us in three distinct personalities. You're, you're never going to be able to fully comprehend that. Nobody can. Char, uh, Charles Spurgeon said, again, to explain the Holy Trinity is to lose your mind, but to explain it away is to lose your soul. Why? Because God, the, God the, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, this Holy Trinity, is we, we see all throughout the pages of Scripture. In creation, in Christianity, <laughs> in comfort for the Christian. We'll see that in a minute. He's at work, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, revealing himself to us in three distinct personalities. So God the Holy Spirit is God. Let, let me prove that to you. Take your Bible, let's do a short Bible study back to the book of Genesis, chapter number 2, and let, I want you to see something right here. Genesis chapter 2, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Genesis 1.26, listen to this verse. And, the, and God said, let us. Everybody say us. Now, if I remember 
my seventh and eighth grade English class right, I remember that if you're talking about I, that's singular. Me, that's singular. Listen, her, that's singular. She, that's singular. But when I start talking about us, I'm talking about two or more. So when the Bible says, and God said, one God, let us, what's he saying? It's one God revealing three distinct personalities through creation. So who are these three distinct personalities? Well, we know God the Father's there. Flip back just one page or look up in your Bibles to verse number one of Genesis number one, or chapter one. In the beginning, God the Father created the heaven and the earth. Everybody see that? So we know God the Father was there at creation. Not only from the Old Testament, but certainly from the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, the writer says there that if, if we, we must believe by faith that God framed the world by his word. So God the Father's there, but who else is there? Well, God the Son is there. Let's go back to John chapter 1 just a moment. Brothers, if you will, you don't have to flip there if you don't want to. You can write these scriptures down, go back and look at them later. But John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Now John uses the word in description of the Lord Jesus. That's who he's speaking about. That's who he's writing about. When John uses the word to describe Jesus, that must mean Jesus is pure because the book of Proverbs says that every word of God is pure. So Jesus was the pure, perfect, holy Son of God. Not born of the seed of man, but born of God himself. God incarnate in the flesh, coming to do for men what men can't do for themselves. So we have Jesus, the pure word, but he's also the powerful word. For it was by God's word that he spoke and the worlds came into existence. The planets began to turn. We sing the song about a million living creatures catching their breath at the word of God. Amen. So Jesus is the pure word. He's the powerful word. He is the word, the logos of God made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, Jesus didn't just become God as a baby in Bethlehem. He's always been God since before the beginning. He is God in eternity present, and He'll always be God throughout eternity in our future. He is God. Now, think about this. God laid down on a cross on a tree he created to die for you. God was reviled, beaten, mocked, spit upon, stripped naked for you. That's how much God loves you. And he was God. Now we'll look at verse number 2. And the same was in the beginning with God. There it is, verse 3. All things were made by him. By who? Who are we talking about? All things were made by Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. She so said, Brother Israel, who, did, who, was in, who created the heavens and the earth? God the Father, God the Son. Yes. Yes, to both. To both. Why? Because they're one. 
There's no distinction between the two. In essence and character, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. So we have God the Father at creation. We have God the Son at creation. Who else do we have at creation? Go back with me to Genesis chapter number 1 and look down at verse number 2. And the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God. Watch. Moved upon the face of the waters. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three at work in creation. One God revealing themselves in three distinct personalities. Amen? So when we're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a he, not an it. Because he is a he, you can know him. Amen. Now, not only is he a he and not an it, but he's also God. Just as much as God the Father and God the Son. Now, let's get to this next part. Not only do I want you to see the person of the Holy Spirit, but the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Look back to John chapter 14. Watch this. I'm telling you, if we can get a hold of what Jesus is saying right here, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. It's going to change our individual ministry. It's going to change our collective ministry as a church. It's going to then allow us to actually be effective in what God has called us to be and to do. It changes it all. Look what it says here, John chapter number 14, verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, Jesus said, that he shall give you another comfort. This is so awesome because Jesus is now talking to men who've given up their lives to follow him. They left it all. They left their homes and their jobs and, listen, their, their social circles, their friends, their family. They've left everything and they've been following the Lord now for about three and a half years in his earthly ministry. And all of a sudden, he looks at them and said, where I'm going, you can't come. They, Whoa, wait a minute, Lord. We've left all to follow you. That had to be what they were thinking. I think they were discouraged. I think they were doubting the whole situation. I think they were doubting their decision. Lord, why have you told us to come follow you if you're leaving? That had to be what they were saying. They're men just like I'm a man. Sometimes I ask those questions. I know none of you do. Sometimes I struggle a little bit. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so in the middle of all that, Jesus says, no, wait a minute, guys. Now, I'm not leaving you alone. I just said I'm leaving. Now, this is the powerful part. And I will pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter. Two words, another and comforter. First of all, the word another in the Greek means another like the same kind. There's two words in the Greek language that can tell you you have another one just like the same kind you're actually speaking about or you have another one that's a different kind. Let me see if I can put it to you like this. If I was talking about another that is a different kind and I was using that particular word, let me tell you what I would say. I've got a car. And Brother Eric, he'd say, well, uh, hey, listen, that's a good mode of transportation, but I've also got a mode of transportation. It's another mode. It's a horse. Now, both of them are transportation, but they're of a different kind. That's the Greek word you would use for another of a different kind. But if I were to say, hey, Eric, I tell you what, brother, I've got a car and it gets me from point A to point B. That's how I transport myself. He said, well, I've got a mode of transportation just like that. I drive a car, too. That's another of the same kind. 
Now, the word used here is another of the same kind. So what Jesus is actually saying, you don't have to lose heart. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to be down and out. Listen, I'm sending you back another just like myself. Why? Because they're one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so now, he's saying it's going to be one just like me. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending back one just like me. But then it tells us what's he going to do. He's going to comfort us. That word comforter in the Greek is the word parakletos. It comes from two Greek words. Para meaning parallel. Same where we get parallel from. It means to come alongside. If you have two parallel lines, what do you have? Two lines that are side by side. Para means one who comes alongside to help. Kletos means helper or confidant. So our comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is just like Jesus, comes alongside to help us. What's he going to help me do? He's going to help me be what God has saved me to be. He's going to help me be a husband that loves his wife like Christ loves the church. He's going to help me be a father that raises his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's going to help me be the pastor God's called me to be to his church preaching the word of God. He's going to help me be a witness in my day-to-day -day life whether I'm at my workplace or the church house or my house or the grocery store, wherever I find myself. I want to be a witness for the Lord and God the Holy Spirit's going to help me do that if, if, I can get Israel out of the way. Amen. He's going to help me do some amazing things. You say, brother, what do you mean amazing things? Well, back up two verses. Excuse me. Not two, but four. Verse 12. Watch. Jesus says, verily, verily. Now, anytime, anytime you see words in red in your Bible, that's powerful stuff. All the Word of God is powerful. Red or not, but certainly I like the red ones. But Jesus said, verily, verily, he said, listen up. Put your listening ears on. That's what my kindergarten teacher always used to tell me. She'd say, Mr. Price, put your listening ears on. I've always remembered that. What she was saying was, verily, verily, listen up. I got something I got to tell you. He says, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So what's the Holy Spirit going to help us do? He's going to help us do the work of God. But Jesus said, you're going to do some stuff that I don't even do. <laughs> you're going to do some stuff that are even greater works than I have done. So what does Jesus mean? Because, I mean, Jesus done some pretty awesome stuff, didn't he? I mean, if we're supposed to do greater works than Jesus has done, does that mean that, listen, we're supposed to, Jesus walked on water, does that mean we're supposed to fly through the air? Is that what it means? Jesus raised up dead people, does that mean we're supposed to raise up a whole graveyard? Is that, is that what that means? Jesus fed 5,000, does that mean we're supposed to feed 85,000? So what does this mean? Because he says... You're going to do the work that I do, but you're going to do even greater works. So what's he talking about? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Go back to John chapter 5. Watch. Flip back just a moment. Look at the fifth chapter of John. And let's just start with verse number 20. Now you, this will be a great quiet time study for you this week. Okay, John chapter 5 one day if you'd like to really get deep into this. But he, he's about to heal a man that's been born lame, been lame for 38 years. All right? John chapter 5, starting in verse number 20. He says, uh, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works... Than these. Skip down to verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath what? Everlasting life. And shall come into and, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 20, the Father is doing works to me because he's shown them to, through me because he's shown them to me but there's going to be even greater works done men are going to pass from death unto what? And the truth is all of us are in one of two camps today. Either we're dead or we're alive. You say brother what are you talking about? I mean I'm, I'm taking it in there and I'm letting it out. I'm still breathing. The blood's still pumping through my veins. I know I'm alive. Well you may be alive physically but if you're not alive spiritually you have truly not experienced the life that has been purchased for you. That is offered to you. See the truth is there's two types of people in this world. Believers and unbelievers, saints and ain'ts. And the Bible says that if you've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are born again into God's family and you have eternal life. If you've not yet believed on Jesus, if you've not trusted in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you are dead in trespasses and sins. Alive or dead? The quick... And the dead. You remember Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. The apostle Paul said this. He said, but you, speaking to the church at Ephesus, who were once dead in trespass and sins, but you hath he quickened, which were once dead in trespasses and sins. To be quickened means to be made alive. So are you quick, are you alive, or are you dead? Jesus said, my work that God has shown to me and is doing through me is giving me an eternal life. Let me tell you what I'd rather do. I would rather have the power to preach the glorious gospel, the truth of the word of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. I'd a lot rather have that power to do that than to raise up dead people or heal blinded eyes. Or cause deaf ears to hear. Or walk on water. And all that other stuff. That's cool stuff. But guess what? That lame man that Jesus healed there at the pool in John chapter 5. He was healed physically. But guess what happened? Later on, that physical body still went to the grave. Back to the dust from whence it came. He raised up Lazarus, yes. But you know right now Lazarus is not walking around in the Middle East somewhere. He died again. Hey, he fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Yes, but guess what? Those bellies got hungry again. Those are some great works. But those works were to attest to the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be so that everyone would believe him 
that he came to do the real work, which was bringing men from death unto life. So, what he's saying in John chapter 14 and verse number 12, these greater works that you're going to do than I have done, is that you're going to be able to preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit and men, women, boys, and girls, eternity are going to be changed. You and I get to be a part of this. You said, I'm Brother Israel. Who does the work? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Do we do the work? Sort of. We get to be a part of it. But the truth is, Jesus in us does the work God has called him to do. We get to be a part of it because we've simply placed our trust in him. That's what's so amazing. Put me on the screen, brothers, Galatians 2 and 20. Paul clears this up in one verse. Watch how he puts it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I've died to the old man. I've died to the old ways. I'm crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Everybody say, my body. His life. It's my body. But it's his life working on me, working in me, and praise God, hopefully working through me to accomplish his work. And that work is bringing people from death to life through the preaching of the, Holy, or the, the, the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Are you getting that? These are the greater works. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that awesome? I remember years ago, my little boy, Gage, he's not little anymore, he's bigger than I am. Years ago, he was little, he was three, four years old, maybe, and I've always loved old cars. That's always been my thing. I had, a, at that time, an 89 Mustang GT. Brothers and sisters, this was fantastic. I love this car. I really did. Um, I, I tell my wife sometimes, honey, I really struggle because I really love cars more than I should. And so I really love that car. I had a lady ask me one time. She said, just the way she looked at me, she, she looked, come up and I was, I was actually leaving church. She looked at my car and said, what do you think Jesus would think about that car? I said, I think Jesus would love it. <laughs> what I think Jesus would love that car I've never seen in the word of God where Jesus has a preference on cars have you me neither so anyway I got that car and, and I was looking for anything I could work on it. I just want to work on something you know so I went and got me some fog lights come back to the house and I, I laid down on a Saturday morning out there in the yard working on them fog lights. And, and my son, Gage, comes out the door and he says, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to put these lights on this car. He said, I'm going to help you. So he crawls up on the car with me. And, buddy, he's helping. I'm talking about every socket wrench that I had or 
anything he'd grab a hold of and twist bolts, that's what he was doing, whether they needed twisted or not. I mean, he was working, doing everything he could do. And we laid up on that car and just had a good time working together, putting those fog lights in. Let me tell you what I know. I could have probably got those fog lights put in my car a whole lot faster and more efficiently if I did the work myself. But there is nobody I'd rather have with me working on that car than my son. Not because I necessarily needed him or my daughters. <laughs> I seen that look. I seen it. I seen what he did. He looked over to his sister and went. <laughs> so, so now listen to me. It, it's not that I, that I needed him to do the work. Boy, I like for him to be with me doing the work. I wanted him there. Now, what God is allowing us to do as his people, he allows us to be a part of the process. His power does it, but it's through our willingness to relinquish our will to his, we get to be a part of what he's doing. Isn't that amazing? Praise Jesus. Another comforter. Another comforter. One just like myself that will come alongside and help you. Now watch. That he may abide with you forever. <laughs> we read the scripture. Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. The spirit that you are sealed under the day of redemption. Do you remember all throughout the Old Testament you would see instances where God the Holy Spirit would, would come upon people? Or work through people for a season. David actually prayed, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's ministry was for specific seasons upon specific people. He would come and do the work God had purposed to be done. And he would work on that specific individual for a season. That's not how it is. Under the new covenant. Jesus said now you are sealed. By the precious Holy Spirit. We're saved by the blood of the son. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? He comes in and abides with you. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 15? You can flip over and read that later. He said if you abide in me. You will bear much fruit. You abide in me as I abide with you. To abide means to sit down and stay a while. So what, the, what the, the Bible is saying is that the Holy Spirit has set up his abode within us. Never to leave. He's always with us in good times and bad times. How many of you this morning can testify to the fact that God is with you in the good times? I love the good times. But if it weren't for the bad times, we wouldn't know how good the good times are. But I promise you, the same God that is with you in the good times is with you in the bad times. Why? Because He never leaves. He abides within you. He sets up resident in your life. That's where He lives. Praise Jesus. 
this is the work of the Holy Spirit. We could go further with it, and we will. But let me give you one more thing very quickly. I want you to see the person, the purpose, but also the plan of the Holy Spirit. Look. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Why you know, But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Skip down to verse 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, not my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he says that Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher, your comforter, your, the one who gives you peace, peace that only I can give. Go, go to chapter 16 with me, John chapter 16, and look what it says Verse number 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. He shall not speak of himself. What's he going to speak of? He says, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit testifies of the Lord Jesus, glorifies the Lord Jesus Anybody who says the Holy Spirit is working in their life and they don't glorify Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not working in their life. Amen? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of fairy dust that you sprinkle on the work that you're doing. The Holy Spirit is a person who lives in you works through you to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. His plan is always to glorify Jesus. Amen? Now, today, let me ask you, have you experienced the Holy Spirit. Has He convicted you of your sin? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll again talk more about that. But He convicts of sin. Shows you your need for a Savior. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, you are baptized into the body of Christ. It's amazing. Has that been made real to you? Has there been a time in your life when God began to show you your need for a Savior. See, if you're ever going to get people saved, you've got to first get them lost. God, the Holy Spirit shows us our lostness, our need for Jesus. I remember when the Holy Spirit began convicting my heart, began tugging at my heart. Showing me just how lost and undone I really was. You say, my brother, I just don't feel like I'm that bad a person. Well, listen to me. None of us in here are axe murderers, probably. Usually, axe murderers usually don't come to places like this. Now, they may. I don't know. But still trusting the Lord, praise God. We trust in the Lord. But I'm just, I'm just saying, you don't have to be an axe murderer to be lost. All you've got to do to be lost is to be born into this world into sin. You came here a sinner, standing in need of a Savior. All of us did. 
We're all in the same boat. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it takes God the Holy Spirit doing His work of drawing you unto Jesus. John 6.44, Jesus said, No man cometh unto me except my Father draws him. How does God the Father draw us to Jesus? It's by the work of the Holy Spirit. He began that convicting process, showing you how much you need him. Showing you you're not good enough. Showing you you can't do the work. Showing you you can never fulfill the righteous standard of God. And it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. I, I'm convinced. Not only from just from what scripture tells me, but from my own experience. In my life and in preaching the gospel. Man, I can stand up here and I'm blue in the face. And tell people how much they need Jesus. And how they've broken God's law. But they, it never clicks with them. Until God does the work. That's why all glory goes to Him. That's why we keep praying. Oh God, do the work that you can do. Because we can't do it. So has God done that for you? Is He doing that for you today? Well, then guess what? That's not a bad thing. That's an amazing thing. That means... God is drawing you unto himself. And the Bible says we need to seek the Lord while he may be found. Today he's working with you. He's tugging at that heart. He's showing you. It's time for you to be born again. I want to show you how to do that. Straight from the word of God. You come this invitation time if that's you. Some of you here this morning and you're struggling in your life as a Christian. You say, brother, how do, I know, how do you know I'm struggling? Because I struggle. We all struggle. We struggle with doubts and discouragement, and failure, temptation. We all struggle. But our comforter has come alongside to help us through whatever struggle we face. You know, it's always good just to say, Lord, I can't do this. But I believe you can. And I believe you want to, according to your word. I'm going to move myself aside, and I'm going to let you have full control. Whatever you want, that's what we're going to do. Maybe you need to do that in this invitation time. Maybe you've been holding the reins and saying, you know what God wants you to do, you know what God's called you to do. But you're not willing to let go and just say, God, do it. I'm, I'm just going to relinquish my will to yours and make this happen by your power. If that's you today, there's nothing sweeter than being in the center of God's will. Nothing. There's nothing more miserable for a child of God than being outside of God's will. So whatever you need today, this invitation is for you. May God the Holy Spirit have his way and will in this place. Everybody stand together.